Happy Easter. He is risen. risen Let's do that one more time. Make it four on the morning. He is risen. risen Amen. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I want to invite you uh, to follow along in your Bible. The words will also be on the screen. Uh, But to follow along, so we're going to read the whole chapter so that we can get a good feel for that first Easter Sunday morning. We can put ourselves in the story. If you're here this morning, you don't have a Bible with you, I'll invite you to use the Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you. And we'll be on page 1074 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible in your home and you want to take one and you want to take that one as as a gift from us to you, we would invite you to do that. And it would be our pleasure for you to take that. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. 
and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Almost 10 years ago, it was September 6th of 2007, uh, Miley and I lived in Dothan, Alabama. And I was working at First Baptist Church in Dothan. Miley was a high school teacher. And I was taking uh, seminary classes through a New Orleans Baptist Seminary Extension Center. The classes met at the Baptist College of Florida, which is about 25 minutes south of Dothan in Graceville, Florida. And that semester I had a Thursday night class. Uh, It was started at six o'clock and usually got out around nine o'clock. And a buddy of mine who was a youth pastor at at a local church there in Dothan, we had met at Sanford and stayed in touch. He was taking the same class, so we would ride together on Thursday evenings. And we'd take turns driving, and this Thursday night, it was my turn to drive. So we loaded up in my little white Nissan Frontier pickup truck. It was a 2000. We load up in it, and we grab a little something to eat on the way out of Dothan, and then we'd head to Graceful. We'd sit through three hours of systematic theology class, which on Thursday evenings was sometimes rough but we would persevere and push through. So we get down there this Thursday evening and we pull in, class starts at six and typically got done at nine, but this time, this night we got done about eight o'clock. So we're, we're fired up, we're done early. So JD and I, we load back up in, in my pickup truck and we head north on highway 109, two lane highway towards Dothan. And not, not two to three miles outside of, of Graceville, there's a pretty good curve in the road, not a, a, U, a U-bend or anything, but just a pretty good curve. And, we're going around that curve and we see, I see this streak of light and sparks just go off the road in front of us. I was like, JD, what in the world was that? He said, Brad, I think that was a motorcycle. He got a better look at it than I did because I was concentrating on driving and I didn't turn to watch where it went. And so I said, all right, well, I do a U-turn real quick and then I do another U-turn. So I get back on the right side of the road. And so we park, I put my hazard lights on, we get out and we go looking for this motorcycle and the driver, there's just pasture land around. The grass on the side of the road has gotten tall. And so we're looking and the first thing we see is on the other side of the barbed wire fence, we see a motorcycle in a hundred pieces. I mean, it's cut in half, just broken in all kinds of pieces. And then over this way a little bit, I see the driver, he's laying face down. He's got his helmet on, his motorcycle jacket on, he's got jeans, he's got his boots on. And I immediately begin saying, hey man, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I'm getting no response. The closer I get, I'm still, I'm still trying to talk to him. I'm getting no response. Well, about that time, about the time I, I get over to him, a sheriff goes by. He's headed fast and south on 109 towards Graceville. He's got his siren on, his lights are on, and he sees our, us on the side of the road. So he comes back and he says, man, is this that motorcycle? I said, yeah. He said, I said, here he is right here. So we, we begin tending to him. We roll him over. I was, I was afraid to roll him over, but we roll him over. Well, while we're doing all this, another car that's going north on 109 towards, from, from Graceville to Dothan, they pull over. And it's a couple, a husband, a wife, and they, they come over there. It turns out it's a guy that's on staff with JD. We, we know him. And so it's Ron and his wife. And they, they come over there and she knows CPR first aid. So she begins giving him chest compressions at the, at, the, um, at the mention of the sheriff that he asked her to do that. So she does it and there's still no pulse. There's no life. Paramedics get there pretty quickly and they pronounced this man dead on the scene. 
And the sheriff said that he had clocked him going 126 miles an hour. And he knew that there was no way he was going to make that curve. So he was trying to catch him before he killed himself. And unfortunately, this guy's name was James Ronald Lunchford. He was 47, 48 years old, grew up in Graceful, loved to ride motorcycles, had lived in Graceful all his life. And he died that night, September 6, 2007. And while, while you weren't there on that Thursday evening, you can, you can picture, as I tell you the story, you can picture that happening. You can place yourself in the story. You've heard an eyewitness account. And as you hear other stories of things like that, you can picture and put yourself in the story and feel what was happening. And that's exactly what we, what we read right here in John chapter 20 is an eyewitness account of the empty tomb, of the risen Christ. The message of Jesus, the story of Jesus doesn't stop at the end of John chapter 19. It doesn't stop with Jesus crucified on a cross and put in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. It doesn't end there. It continues in the major difference between the life and teachings of Jesus and that of any other religious leader lies in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and the others have not. And John pays particular attention to the effect of the resurrection on individuals' lives and he doesn't worry so much about the material proof of the resurrection, although the proof and the evidence is very convincing just in these 31 verses that we read not to mention the other evidence that we have in other scriptures and historical books. Jesus rose from the dead. There's, there's been different points throughout history where people have debated and argued the truth of the resurrection. And sometimes it's been more heavily debated than others. And today, a prominent attitude towards the resurrection is this. Maybe it happened and maybe it didn't. If you believe that it happened and that's helpful for you, then that's great. But if you don't believe it, that's fine too. In other words, truth is whatever you and I find to be helpful and acceptable to us. And the problem with that is that the Bible makes it clear that the whole of the Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. Hinges on the resurrection. If we don't have a resurrection, we don't have a Christian faith. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is pointless, it's worthless. You have no faith because he's just like any other guy claiming to be the Messiah. John chapter 20, we read the account of the first three eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, early that Sunday morning goes to pay respects to Jesus, to take some, some different things that she can prepare, to put on his body for burial or just place at the entrance to the tomb if she couldn't get in there, but to show that she wanted to pay respects to Jesus. So she gets within eyeshot of the tomb and she realizes that the stone's been moved. She doesn't bother going to look in to see if Jesus is still in there. She just takes off running to go get Peter and John. John never refers to himself by name. He calls himself the other disciple or the one Jesus loved. But it's funny to me that John makes it a point to let us know that he won the race to the tomb that Sunday morning. I mean, he says it multiple times in there. He, he turned it into a race just like us men can do. We can turn anything into a competition. And so that morning as they're headed to the tomb, John beats Peter to the tomb. And he wants us to know that 2,000 years later that he, he beat him. And maybe it's because Peter gets a lot of attention as one of the disciples. And so John's like, look, he might get a lot of attention, but I got him that morning. 
Peter got in a little out of shape and I got him that morning. So John gets there first. He looks in the tomb. He sees the strips of linen lying there that had been wrapped around Jesus' body. But he doesn't go in the tomb. And then Peter gets there and never being the guy to back down or to shy away from anything, he goes into the tomb and he sees the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that would have been around Jesus' head. And then John finally gets the courage or whatever it is he needed to go into the tomb and he goes into the tomb and he sees the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that would have been around Jesus' head. And it says he saw and believed. He saw and and believe what is it that Peter and John saw that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter Sunday morning that led them to believe? The first thing we see is that Jesus' body was gone. Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb. His, his body is gone, and these are the first three eyewitnesses to that empty tomb. There, there are theories out there that, that say that, that maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Well, if they went to the wrong tomb, um, there were strips of linen lying there, so, and the, there's no body there, so somebody else rose from the dead, or it was Jesus. There's also a stone that's been removed from the entrance to the tomb, and so that means there's another tomb that had the stone removed from the entrance. Not very likely. But also, Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene had seen where Joseph of Arimathea laid the body of Jesus in that tomb. So Mary not only went to the wrong tomb once that morning, but she went to the wrong tomb twice. And then Peter and John followed her to the wrong tomb on the second time. That theory doesn't hold much credibility. And not just that, but later on, there's angels sitting in that tomb. So angels got the wrong tomb. And Jesus himself, when he rose from the dead, he came back. And when he was standing out there, who Mary thought was the gardener, he got the wrong tomb. <laughs> and I'm not much of, I'm not a good debater, arguer, but it's very clear that they didn't go to the wrong tomb. But these are the first three eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. And for 2,000 years, all the way us to you and I in here today, the message of the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection has spread based on these eyewitnesses and has been passed down through witnesses over 2,000 years. The second thing they saw, first they saw Jesus' body was gone. Second, they saw that the grave clothes were undisturbed. The grave clothes were undisturbed. Another common theory is that Jesus' body was stolen out of the tomb. So there's a stone in front of this entrance to the tomb, a large stone, it says. There was a Roman soldier outside of the tomb, but somehow whoever it was that was gonna steal Jesus' body got past that and got in the tomb and then decided that they couldn't steal Jesus' body with the linen still wrapped around it. So they were gonna take the linens off of his body and leave them there exactly as they were laying, and then they take Jesus. Again, just not much credibility to Jesus' body being stolen. The grave clothes are laying there. As John describes it, he says, he, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived. He went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Gives us this picture, this detailed description that John puts particular emphasis on that these grave clothes were laying just as they were around Jesus' body, but Jesus was gone. The body was gone. 
So it's not as if Jesus woke up out of a coma or a deep sleep and realized he was tied up in linens and decided he was gonna rip and wiggle his way free of these linens and just kind of leave them scattered around. We get the picture of Jesus passing through the grave clothes as he passed from death to life as only the son of God could do. And the grave clothes help us see a picture of the reality of the truth of the resurrection. Jesus' body's gone, the grave clothes are undisturbed. And then what we see is we see that Jesus was seen. There were personal encounters with the risen Christ. Whatever Mary Magdalene and John and Peter didn't understand about Jesus' teaching before he was crucified, they now understand. Oh yeah, he said he was gonna be crucified on a cross and three days later he was gonna rise from the dead. There's personal encounters with the risen Christ. Jesus is alive, revealing himself to different people. And the first is Mary Magdalene. She's standing there outside the tomb. She's weeping. She's full of sorrow and hurt. She's feeling hopeless. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had cast evil spirits out of during his ministry. And now here she is crying. She, she thinks that her Lord and her Savior, her Messiah, has died. And now she thinks that somebody's taken his body. She, she doesn't understand what's happening. And then this supposed gardener tries to console her and is unable to do so until that supposed gardener says one word that changed everything. He calls her by name, Mary. And she recognizes the way that Jesus said her name. And she turns toward him and says, teacher. And we get this picture of her going to hug him. And he says, do not hold on to me for I've not yet returned to my father. But go and tell my brothers, the disciples, go and tell them that you've seen the Lord and that I will be returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene's, she's feeling hopeless. She's full of sorrow. She knows that Jesus has cast these evil spirits out of her. And just like Mary, this, this world is full of evil. This world is full of hopelessness. This world is full of hurt and sin. But Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday and paid for that sin, making the sacrifice once and for all for sin. And then three days later, rising from the dead and revealing himself to people in a personal encounter that changes everything. And Mary is the first one. And then the disciples, after hearing the news from Mary, they've locked themselves in a room because they are scared. They don't know what the Jews are gonna do. They don't know what the Romans might do now that Jesus is risen. They're scared. And Jesus, as only the Son of God can do, passes through the walls and the locked door of the room that they are in. He stands among them. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, peace be with you. He shows them his, his, his hands, shows them where the nails were in his hands and where the spear went into his side. And they're overjoyed that they saw the Lord. And then he says one more time, peace be with you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He sent them out as his witnesses, forgiving sins in his name. But poor Thomas, who gets a, gets a lot of bad press, he wasn't with the disciples at that first encounter. So when the disciples go to him and say, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He's like, guys, until, until I see the, the nail scars in his hands and I see that wound from the spear in his side, I will not believe it. So again, the disciples are in a room locked for fear of the Jews. The Romans, they're scared of what might happen to them because Jesus is risen just as he said he would. And now they don't know what's gonna happen. They're in the room locked and Thomas is with them this time. And Jesus, as only the son of God can do, passes through the locked doors and the walls. And he walks in and he goes straight to Thomas. He says, Thomas, 
see my hands. You can trace the scars with your finger. You can put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas makes one of the great confessions in all of scripture. He says, my Lord and my God. He cries out to the risen Lord. The resurrection changed everything for Thomas. He wasn't gonna believe it till he laid eyes on him for himself. And that personal encounter changed everything. And so Jesus' body was gone. The grave clothes are undisturbed. Jesus was seen. There were personal encounters with Jesus. And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing and the greatest evidence of the resurrection is the transformation of the disciples. These disciples, Jesus' disciples were changed. They were changed. Their lives would never be the same. The men that we read about in the book of Acts are not the same men that we read about in the Gospels. When Jesus is under arrest and through, going through his trial and he goes to the cross to be crucified, Peter denies him three times because he's, Peter's thinking, if this guy were the son of God, if he were the Messiah, then he wouldn't be going through this. Thomas is, uh, not Thomas, Peter is doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. He's doubting that he's the son of God. Until Peter has a personal encounter with the risen Christ that changed everything for him. They're not the same guys when we read in the book of Acts, the resurrection was the focus of their preaching. And why wouldn't it be? Jesus was dead and he's alive again. They focus on the resurrection. And then they've experienced it personally and to the point that they are willing to die for it. They're continually put in jail for preaching the name of Jesus and for preaching about the resurrection of Christ. And what do they say? We must obey men rather than God. This Jesus who you crucified, God raised from the dead and has made him both Lord and Christ. We can't help but preach in the name of Jesus. And this is where those skeptics, the skeptics of the resurrection, when they get to the transformation of the disciples, that's where they say, I'm done. There have been people that have set out to prove, to disprove the resurrection. And when they get to the transformation of the disciples, that's where they stop and say, I believe in the resurrection. Because these men were willing to be flogged to be put in prison, to be beaten. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that some of them were sawn in two or put to death by the sword. Would they be willing to die for something that they thought might be true? No, they were willing to die for what they knew to be true because they had encountered the risen Christ. The transformation of the disciples is the greatest evidence of the resurrection. Blaise Pascal, a French theologian philosopher, says, I believe the witnesses who get their throats cut. Those are the ones that I believe because they believe it to the point that they're willing to die for it. So what does the resurrection mean for us? The implications of the resurrection. First, Jesus is Lord over life and death. Jesus is Lord over life and death. Mary Magdalene, when she encounters the risen Lord and he calls her name, she goes from hopelessness to hope. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. She's still hopeless, we're still hopeless. She goes from hopelessness to hope. She realizes that this world, the the hurt and the sorrow and the pain and the sin and the suffering that are in this world will not be in the life to come because Jesus is Lord over life and death. He conquered the grave. And the second thing, Jesus is Lord over sin and Satan. Part of the Easter story is the crucifixion. That Jesus, God put Jesus on the cross, his only son, because he knew there had to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he put the sins of the world on his son on the cross to the point that God had to turn his back on him because he is a holy God and he can't look on sin. 
So Jesus goes to the cross. He sheds his blood for our sin, making a sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that priests in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, priests were continually making sacrifices day after day because they could never atone for all the sins of the people or for their own sins, for the sins of the priest. But then it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, but when this priest, this high priest had made sacrifice for sins once and for all, he sat down at the right hand of God. In, in the temple, in the Old Testament, there was, no, there was nowhere for the priest to sit down. That was the only piece of furniture that you couldn't find in the temple was a, something to sit on because the priest's work was never done. Sacrifices had to be made. But when Jesus went to the cross, when this priest went to the cross, he paid the penalty for sin once and for all and sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father. He's Lord over sin. And then verse 13, it tells us, and he waits for his enemies to sit under his footstool because he's Lord over Satan. He's Lord over evil. He's Lord over his enemies. And the third implication of the resurrection for us is that he is Lord over you and me. We heard just three Sundays ago from Michael Kelly that there's no neutral response with Jesus. We can't have Jesus as Lord and something else as Lord. The Bible's clear that we can't serve two masters. We'll, we'll love the one and hate the other. Either Jesus is Lord of our life or Jesus is not Lord of our life. There's no in-between. There's no neutrality in a response to Jesus. And when he is Lord of our life, we surrender all to him, all to him. And we believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion. Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for sin. And then God raised him from the dead, conquering death so that we could live eternally with him. We measure God's compassion by the cross. We measure his compassion by the cross and we measure his power by the resurrection that only God could raise his son from the dead. We measure his power by the cross. We measure his compassion by the cross and his power by the resurrection. Helmut Tielicke, a great German theologian, makes a great observation about Good Friday and Easter Sunday. He said there's a third thief on the cross. There was a third thief on the cross. Yes, there was a thief that was crucified for his crimes on Jesus's right. And there was a, a thief uh, that was crucified on Jesus's left, but the third thief was in the middle. The third thief was in the middle. First Thessalonians 5.2 says, Paul, the apostle Paul says, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Revelation chapter three, verse three, as John is getting this vision from the Lord, the Lord tells him, he said, I will come like a thief. The apostle Paul, who was persecuting Christians, he says in Philippians chapter three, verse seven, he says, what I once thought was gain, Jesus took that from me and I now consider that loss. And then in verse eight, he says, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul says he took something from me. Jesus stole something from me. The greatest theft in human history took place on that first Easter Sunday morning. When Jesus took the sting out of death, he robbed the grave and he declared all power is in his hands. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And church, on this Easter Sunday, 
Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because we know he holds the future, this life is worth the living just because Jesus lives. Would you pray with me? This morning, as we enter a time of invitation, there are those in this room who have been neutral on who Jesus is in their life. They have not made Jesus Lord of their life. You've tried to remain neutral and there's something else that's Lord in your life. And so maybe today is the day you wanna say Jesus is Lord, the risen Christ. Maybe you've had an encounter this morning with the risen Christ and you say Jesus is Lord. Or maybe during the invitation time, you need somebody to pray with you. We would invite you to come down front and pray with a staff member. Or maybe today you, you've decided you want to join this church family, that this is the place that you, you say, Jesus has led you so that you can grow in your relationship with him. This is the people you wanna walk with and do church with and do family and life with. God, we thank you for the power of the cross this morning. We thank you for your compassion to us on the cross. And we thank you for the power of the grave that you did as only you can do. And you rose Jesus from the dead, raising him to life. He's Lord over life and death. God, this morning we claim the name of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.